Well, again, good morning. Thank you for uh, joining us at the Vineyard Online and in the house. We're glad that you're here with us. And, you know, we've got a couple good things coming up. Pastor Jason talked about bike night. That's always fun uh, to go out there. And it's so disarming to just be his presence and give things away for free and not take money. You know, that's not, 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 we do take money here, by the way, on the way out, you can put it in the box and we honor God with our giving, but for hot dogs, they're free. So, but this, uh, this, uh, uh, following, uh, Sunday, a week from today, we're having our baptism service. We chose to do it on Super Bowl Sunday because we like to say that baptism is more important than anything that happens. One baptism. So... If you haven't been baptized, you say, well, yeah, I got baptized as a baby. I always say, tell me about it. <laughs> but, but my parents, my parents, exactly. Your parents can tell you about it because they did it, and that's fine. But that wasn't your choice. We practice what we call believer's baptism, which is you put faith in Christ, whatever age. Our youngest daughter got baptized at five years old. But she had given her heart to Jesus, and she could have told you that. And so it's not an age thing, it's a come to Jesus thing. And when you come to Jesus, baptism is an outward proclamation of that you're buried with Christ and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. So we're going to do that next week if you're interested, and you could just write baptism on your card. We'll talk about it today in our our, uh, Discovering the Vineyard Family membership course, UIO. It's filled pretty much. If you haven't planned on coming, uh, you could see Pastor Jason. I don't know. We you can't guarantee you a spot if you didn't sign up because it it it's it's outgrown the room. Uh, but uh, we'll do it again soon. So uh, we hope that you'll take part in that. And I had a picture for the roof. Several people had, did. Did you do you have that on there? Yeah. Just to give you an update on our roof. Uh, this nah, nah. Take it off. We'll do it again. Oh, is that just the old picture? Oh, I thought you had to be before and after. I'm like, you can't tell. See all the white spots? Those are holes and leaks in the roof that have been patched about 19 times. That's the old roof on the left, new roof on the right. That was like, how much was that? Yeah. $48,000. It's like, I could have painted it for about 100 you know, but that's not paint. So, and it comes with a 10 year warranty. If your paint came with that, we'll pay you. So, you know, it's just a a huge, uh, huge blessing. Those of you that uh, participated in that, thank you uh, so much, so much. All right. Uh, We started our groups this week. If you haven't found one, put it on your Let's Connect card. You can put that in your offering on the boxes on the way out. We'd love to get you in a group. And we kind of let the groups coincide with the series. We finished Jabez Prayer. We're going to be in a new series called Possessing your possessions. So we want to go after, like in the, in the Old Testament, God told Israel, I take you out of Egypt to take you into the promised land. He never takes us out and leaves us. Now, a lot of Christians think, well, I just, I wanted to get out of. No, he takes you out to bring you into a better uh, future. And in this case, the promised land, which he promised to Israel. And so they, they wandered in the wilderness for many years before they got to the promised land. And we're going to pick up the story in Joshua next week. But the Lord interrupted us. My wife and I were talking and praying. And I don't know why, but God said uh, to, to, to give a different introduction to the message. So, uh, and so I changed the message. And, and, and I think it's a timely word for us as a church. 
I don't mean it in a morbid sense. You'll know what I mean by that in a second. But let's, let's start with the first verse in the book of Joshua, Joshua 1.1. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now let's give up all hope because the hero's gone. No, oh, it didn't say that. Okay. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give you. And then he goes on, and it's one of the best chapters, uh, the first nine verses of encouragement you'll find in the Bible. And we're going to be in that next week. But I want to go back to this first part of the verse. It says, after the death of Moses. N- not always in the Bible, does, especially uh, in, none in the new, but do the one book ends and the next book kind of picks up where it ends. Well, Deuteronomy ends where Joshua picks up and Joshua ends where judges. Other than that, there's not a lot of, you know, that there, there's. So I want to kind of give an overview of Moses and his life. And because it's at his death that they got the best without him. It was at his death that they were able to enter into the promises without him. And, and, and it required his death in order for them But you would have thought it had been just the opposite. It's like your best player in the Super Bowl, right before the game, you pull them. And they don't get to play. And and we depended on them. And they were our best player. And we depended on them for 40 years. So we're going to kind of back into what this refers to after the death of Moses by looking. If you're flipping your Bible, it's just two pages backwards to Deuteronomy chapter 32. And we're going to, this is the ending of, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, chapter 33. No, 32, 32, 48. This is the ending of uh, Moses's life. Now think of Moses, three increments, 40, 40, 40. Okay. First 40 in Egypt, raised by Pharaoh. He's Jewish, but he was raised miraculously by the most powerful person on the planet. He was in line to take the throne, educated in the best schools in Egypt. At the end of that 40-year period, he tries to deliver Israel in his own strength, and he kills the man with his bare hands, thinking God needed his strength and help to get Israel set free. So now he's a murderer. He runs to the wilderness, and he spends 40 years hiding. And he learns and meets his wife and, and gets married, has children, and he takes care of sheep for 40 years because that's God's boot camp. Because he's about to take care of God's sheep for another 40 years. And when he took care of God's sheep, the other sheep seemed easy. They're still messy. They're still stupid. They're still get lost. But they're nothing like dealing with people. So often it's said, we'd have a great church if it wasn't for the people. You might think we'd have a great church if it wasn't for the pastor. Goes both ways, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So we don't have a great church. We have an ugly church because it's made up of real people that are messed up, finding Jesus in life, saying, oh God, oh God, help. And we're working it out together and not judging people in the process. And so Moses is on this third, third, the end of it. So first third, Egypt, second, third, wilderness with uh, walking around the desert. Next third, he's, he took Israel out of Egypt, miracles, wonders, signs with his rod, And now he's in the wilderness for 40 years because they disobeyed God, not Moses, but the people, they didn't have faith that they could go in. So he spends 40 years 
There's only two that outlive him that were part of that. And that's Joshua and Caleb. He comes to the end of the 40 years. I'll never forget reading this in the Bible. And I, I, I read what he did when he sinned. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But you get to the end of his life and God says, you're not going to be able to go into the promised land. I mean, really? After all of this? I mean, his sin was like nothing compared to their sins. Their sins were horrible. They were idolatrous. They were orgies. He's up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments and they're down having an orgy and idol worshiping and demise. I mean, it's just, and, and, and he begs God not to wipe them out over and over again. And so he comes to the end of his life and God says, no, you're, you're, don't you remember we had this conversation? You're not going into the land. And he said, but, but, but. And God said, no more. Don't talk to me about it again. You're not going in. But, I'm going to let you see it. So I'm going to give you two accounts at the end of Deuteronomy of this death of Moses, the last journey that he takes. And I'm going to start with just the background in chapter 32, 48. On the same day that the Lord told Moses to go up unto Abraham, range to Mount Nebo in Moab, across from Jericho, and view Canaan, the land that I'm giving the Israelites as their own possession. That's the possess your possessions. Verse 50. There on the mountain that you have climbed, you will die and be gathered to your people just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Or and gathered to his people. Verse 51. This is because both of you broke faith with me. Don't miss this next line. In the presence this is what, you got to understand, that the, this isn't, he's sending his heart. This isn't a, a boo-boo. This isn't a, this is a leader in front of the nation dishonoring God. And God said, because you did this in front of the people and the Israelites at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, and the desert of Zin, because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. What did he do that was so horrible? Well, back up the tape. They're in the wilderness First time, they're dying of thirst, no water. The people hate him. They want to kill him. And he says, God, what do I do? And God says, take your staff. There's a rock that's been following you. Now, I don't know how big it was. Spielberg will never get anything on the Bible because this rock followed him. You can read it in the New Testament, and it says that rock represented Jesus. So every time they went to bed at night and needed water, they look, whoop, there's the rock. You could say, well, there was a million rocks for 40 years. They're all around. Okay, it says the rock followed him. So he says, take the staff and strike it, and the water will come flowing out. And he struck it. The water came out. They were satisfied. Time goes on. Another time of, of thirst. And God says, this time, don't strike the rock. Speak to it. Simple. Don't hit it. Talk to it. Use your words. Use your authority. So Moses gets to the rock. He's so ticked off at the people. He snaps. I get it. I, I would have snapped way before then. Amen. He snaps and he pounds the rock with a staff. And it just because God said, don't do that. And he did it anyway. He did it his way, the old way, not the new way that God said to do it. He strikes the rock and God says, because of that, you don't get to go into the promised land. Now it's not heaven. A lot of people crossing Jordan, you know, over Jordan, over yonder, all someday. It's not going to, crossing the Jordan is not getting into the heaven for Israelites. It's not those that didn't make it went to hell. That's not the point. It's an earthly inheritance that represents a spiritual 
inheritance. So Moses sinned years later. He's like, well, certainly it's nothing compared to other things. It's not that big of a deal. We grade sin in our estimation, not God's. And God said, it's a big deal. You're not going in. Now that's how I, the first time I read that, reading through the chat, I started weeping. I felt sorry for him. I'm like, oh God, if that kept him out, I'm, I don't have a chance. I mean, it's, it's just as, this is bad news for all of us. Moses, he's a, he was the best. He was called the servant of the Lord, the meekest, humblest guy, an intercessor, a go kind. To, and, and he has one blunder. And, and, and God, why? Well, we're going to get to that. I wanted to get you the backdrop of the story. And now go to chapter 34, the last chapter in Deuteronomy, and you'll see the actual death of Moses recorded. 34.1, then Moses climbed Mount Nebo. Let, let me just show you where we are here on a map, because this is important. Mount, uh, which one is it going to come up on? Do I do the top button first? There it is. Okay. All right. If you'll see, I don't know if you can see it or not, but this is the, the, the Red Sea they crossed to get up here. Here's Moab up here. This is the, I can't, I can't even see the thing. Somewhere here's the Sea of Galilee. This is the Dead Sea. Right here is Moab. Everything on the left or the west of the Jordan was the promised land. See the word Canaan right there? This is all promise. To the right over here, which is Jordan today, was not the promised land. They wandered all around the wilderness from Egypt and they came up to this side and he climbs this mountain somewhere in here at the edge of the Dead Sea where the Jordan River flows in. Somewhere in there, he, he, God brings up, he, he never made it uh, uh, into the uh, promised land, and so, but he did have this experience with God. It says that he climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim, Manasseh, all of the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Negev, that's the desert, the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, that's not Fort Myers, but Jericho, as far as Zoar. Verse 4, then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over to it. Now, he showed him back in verse one. He showed him. The word showed there, the idea isn't that he had great. He did, he died with great eyesight. His eyesight was not diminished, nor his strength. He's a lot like Caleb that we looked at a few weeks ago that took a mountain at 85. He's 120 and he's got vigor like he's a, a 30 year old. He didn't die because he lacked strength and he didn't die because he lacked sight. He had sight, not this kind of sight though. This is supernatural. God said, I'm going to let you see. And I think he saw more than he saw than just land. I think God gave him a picture that there's more coming than just what you see. He got to taste it without walking on it. He got to see it without experiencing it. It's still a sad, it's a, it's a limitation. It's a boundary. It's a, it's a, it, it, your choices cost you. Now, in the mercy of God, there's redemption. But there are also consequences 
to our choices that we don't like to think about. We like to think of forgiveness, but not with consequences. Because some things can be forgiven, but can't be undone. Some things can be forgiven, but not replaced. Some things can be forgiven, but not forgotten. And, and that requires the redemption of God to step in, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But in this sense, his sin as a leader cost him the benefit and the blessing of being able, after all the hard work, he got him right to the goal line, but he didn't get to take him across. He got right to the seeing his grandchildren get married, but didn't see the grandson get born. He got right to the edge of the, of the, 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 what he dreamed and worked his whole life for, but didn't get to see it completed. And that's a consequence of his sin. And because God told him publicly, God holds to his word. You know, God doesn't parent like this. Johnny, Johnny, stop it. Stop it. Johnny, stop it. Johnny, Johnny, get down. Johnny, if you don't stop it, you're not going to watch your play game, PlayStation. Johnny, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I want to spank the parent at that moment. If you parent that way, stop it. You're teaching your child your word means nothing. You're just a loud noise and just yang, 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 yang. Children don't care until there's an action involved, a consequence. When there's a consequence that they can, they can, they, they, they know it, whatever it is, grounding, well, how are you going about it? We spanked. I get it. You can't. Okay. But we said one, we counted the three. It was for their sake, not mine. Oh, no, for my sake, not theirs. I'm calming down. Dad, if dad gets the three, he moves. There's action. I never got the four. I got the two many times. And I'd remind him if I get to three, I move. I move at three. I'm not going to tell you again. I'm not going to threaten you. I'm not going to nag you. One, two. Remember, if I say three, there's consequences. You better move in what I'm telling you to do. Then you could parent however you choose. But I wanted my kids to learn that if dad said something. Now, there were times you could rescind. You still acted on what you said you'd do, but you did it with some mercy. And you can, you can all have to be a hard head about things. But point is, God said No. And Moses dishonored him in front of the whole nation. And God said, okay, this is, this is a call. You're not, you're not taking him in. Now, it doesn't mean he didn't go in. It doesn't mean God stayed mad at him. It doesn't mean that he didn't say, I'm sorry, Lord. He tried to talk God into it. And God said, enough. He held up that God finger, the hand of God, the God finger. And when God does that, you're the only one thing you better do. Stop digging. Stop, stop, stop crying. Stop being a baby. God said, no, that's the way it is. Except, so Moses accepted it. He's climbing the mountain. He gets to see the land. You don't hear him go, please, God, please, please. No, he's accepted. He's surrendered. He's, he's in the hands of God. He gets to see, but God has better things than what he sees. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But he gets up to the top. He sees everything. What this is, God reminds him that they're going to go in, but you're not. Verse 5, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said, or by the mouth of the Lord, some translate it. The rabbis have translated it by the kiss of God. He died by the mouth of the Lord. So it could be God's command. Or it could be his kiss. 
I think that the kiss of God, he's so close to Moses. The Bible says, and we'll look at it in a minute, that he knew God face to face. He had that kind of communion with God, that intimacy. That, that was the secret to his success and power is he had a relationship that was living and alive. And that relationship is promised to us in Jesus, not to physically see, but to, in our faith to, to adore. Uh, hopefully you did that during worship, that you, you, you looked into his face by faith and you worshiped him that loves us and you saw his smile and, and you sensed his presence and that Moses, God wasn't mad at him. He, he, he takes his breath away with a kiss. What a way. You know, so, you know I, one of my favorite country songs, not that I'm a huge country fan, but I loved uh, Tim McGraw's Live Like You're Dying. And, you know, I, I, I did 3.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, guy got news that he was dying, and he changed how he lived. So the song is titled Live Like You're Dying. I would rather think that you better understand that you're going to die like you're living. So if you're living without confidence in God, you're not going to get to the edge and land your last journey and all of a sudden have this heroic confidence in God. If you're disconnected from God and you don't have a history with God, you don't have a history of his promises, you don't have a history of experiencing God pressing in, you're going to get to that long last journey and it's not going to be that you don't just instantly become something different because you know you're dying. Now you can make commitments and you can make amends and you can ask for repentance and you can be restored, but, but you, you still, you're in a place where you've not exercised the muscle that you're going to need more now than you've ever needed it to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Moses got to the mountain, he got to see it, and he wasn't filled with self-pity. He was at peace, knowing that he had run his race and he knew he was going to die with a life that was incomplete. And I'm pretty much confident that all of us will die with an incomplete life. I don't think any of us will see all the things we wish we could have seen with our children, grandchildren, and or great-grandchildren or great-great-grandchildren, however long you want to believe for. I don't think watching God raise up people that we've invested in their lives, that, that we, we don't get to see here what God's going to do with them. We'll get to watch in that great cloud of witnesses in heaven. So Moses, God kisses his life away. Then the Bible says something it doesn't say about anybody else. It says in God, verse 6, God buried him in Moab, the valley opposite of Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where the grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak and his strength was not gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. This is the hero. This is the man. God, what's God's always doing stuff to man. He, why, we didn't, now, did he hide the grave because he didn't want it to become a shrine? I mean, you go to Israel right now, it's one of the things you got to kind of press through is the, the shrines they've made out of everything. You know, it's, it's just, it, it's gaudy, it's extravagant. But if you, if you can push that aside and appreciate the history, you can touch things and feel things and appreciate things. Like one of my, I'd love to go back. I've never stood on Mount Nebo where Moses stood and looked over Israel. I, 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 that's a bucket list for me is to go there. Not many people want to go to that side of uh, uh, the, the Jordan, but I'd like to go there at least for a couple of days and then go back to Israel and see the land that he got to see, but didn't get to walk in. Now gone buries Moses. Now, to make it even more obscure, 
we've got this verse that comes from some legends, but it's got to be truth or it wouldn't have been in the Bible. But in the book of Jude that only has one chapter right after the book of Revelation, it says this, Jude 1, 9. Jude says that even Michael the archangel uh, did not dare to condemn the devil. So let me start over, Jude 1, 9. But even Michael the archangel, when he was disputing, the word is a legal term, disputing with the devil about the body of Moses. Now, we don't know. We, we, can, we can guess a little bit. We know the nature of the devil is the accuser of the brethren. We know that he knows the law and he uses the law against us. He, he condemns us with the law. He knows that Moses murdered one of his buddies. I can see the devil in the face of Michael saying, you can't have that body. He's a murderer. Now, I may have lost his soul to God, but his body belongs to me. And he wanted to do things to that body that, that the evil does to bodies. I, I've seen that some, and, and, and when the Black Hawk Down went down, and, and Muda, Muda, um, um, Muda, 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 Muda and they drugged the Army Ranger's body behind the pickup truck, urinated on him, spit on him, and defiled him. It was their venomness of hatred. Take that times a billion and you've got the devil's hatred of Moses. The devil's hatred of anybody that represents pointing people towards freedom, deliverance in Jesus. He hated, he wanted to get his hands on the body. But here's what you've got to understand about salvation. Old is no different than the new. Salvation is not about the soul going to heaven. That's part. We've made that everything. Grandma's up there gardening. No, she's not. And grandma's not going to do anything until she gets her body. And she won't get her body till the resurrection. And if she doesn't get her body, then her salvation was incomplete. Heaven doesn't take the place of a new body. We get a veiled body until heaven. Moses could have easily been like Enoch that walked with God, never died, and whoop, God took him. He could have been like Elijah that walked with God and the chariots of fire came and giddy up. I mean, what a way to go. And something happened to their bodies. I don't know that they were ever buried. I don't know whether God buried it and hid it or just whoop. Because let me tell you, listen to me. While I was standing in Israel, some of you will remember, uh, Greg, you guys, mine were with us. I, I, I'm standing there, our tour guide, Zayev, knew more about the Bible than I'll probably ever know. Didn't know Jesus, but knew the Bible. Great historian and just, so we're standing on a spot and I said, well, could Moses have walked through here? Found him, you know, he goes, Jamie, I'm going to give you a minute to think about that. I'm like, uh-oh, he's already done this to me once before, and it didn't end well. <laughs> he said, Moses never came to the promised land. I said, you're right, and I'm embarrassed. <laughs> and that's Bible 101. But then it hit me, the mercy of God. I said, oh, yeah, he did. No, he didn't, Jamie. Oh, yeah, he did. He never walked on the promised land, Jamie. Oh, yeah, he did. Luke 9, New Testament, several thousand years later, God buried him wherever, his body. But even, uh, uh, we're in uh, Luke 9. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up to a mountain to pray, verse 29. 
And as he was praying, his appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. 30. And then two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus about his upcoming sacrifice. He stood on the mountain with Jesus in the promised land. Now I'm going to go out on a limb. You want to stand with Joshua on the promised land where you're hacking people to death with swords? Or you want to wait till the battle is going to be defeated, the enemy's done, Jesus is won, and oh, only two out of the multitudes that have ever lived get to stand on the ground with Jesus in the promised land that you saw couldn't walk on because there was a better day coming. Don't tell me God doesn't redeem. Don't tell me God's limited to my failures and my past. Yes, it affected him here, but it didn't affect him there. And that's the important point. There are limitations here. There's consequences here. There's things that, that we regret. There's things that we, but there's also redemption that took what Satan meant for evil, took what Moses did in failure. He redeemed it to where it turned out to be better for Israel and better for Moses. Wouldn't you rather stood with Jesus than walked with Joshua every day? All day to get to be there with Elijah and who cares about Peter, James, and John? He didn't care about seeing them. It's Jesus. I'm with Jesus. I'm walking with Jesus on the promised land. It's already been won. He's going to the cross and defeat my enemies. I'm with Jesus in the promised land. So I said to Zayab, I didn't say all that. Trust me. I just said, oh, yes, he did. He stood with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, he just, just shook his head and mumbled and went on. Because, you know, you don't believe that is a true story, then you can't argue that Moses made it. But I know he did. Now let's go back to conclusion of his life. As God buries him, the Michael, the angels around him at his death, he's not alone. God takes him, whether he digs a hole and puts him in it, puts him in a cave, transports him. He's got angels around him. The, the enemy tried to get a hold. The enemy couldn't. God rebukes him. I'm sure preached the blood of Jesus to the enemy. And then in verse 8, 9. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since no prophet had risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all the things, miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt to Pharaoh and all the officials. For no one was ever shown the mighty power performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. But Joshua does what he couldn't have done. Joshua takes the sword. Joshua's a warrior. And he takes the sword and he leads Israel into a holy war and defeats giants and walled cities and they possess their possessions. Joshua didn't become Moses. God has one Moses. God has one you. God has one me. But if we can learn in life to give away what God's given us, to invest in others, to serve others, to see ourselves replaced, it's, it's what drives my wife and I. Uh, you know, it, 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 we're just so grateful to have a team of people that we lead with. We have a team of people that we've invested in, and they invest in us. And, and Moses had been investing in Joshua. He also had Caleb. He had other leaders that were among them that he had deposited his life in. And here's Charles Swindoll says this, and I love his phrase. It says, he said, when, 
When a man or woman of God dies, nothing of God dies. In the sense that the man and a woman aren't gone, they're with Jesus. But their legacy, the kingdom of God, when, when a leader of God dies, the work of God never dies. The leader of God was not equal to the work of God. He did the work of God, but the kingdom of God carries on. When Moses died, God just said, next. And he had a plan. And when Billy Graham died, God probably didn't pick up another Billy Graham, but he probably took that anointing on a thousand other people. And, and when God takes a big tree down in the forest, it opens the canopy for light to come in for the younger seedlings to rise up. Someday God will take me. And when he does, my, 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 my hope is that I take that last journey and go face to face with God, not because it's new to me, but I'm face to face with God on a regular basis and that he walks with me and he buries me and he keeps me and he takes me into his arms and he takes me home. And that we know that we know that the kingdom continues on. Even Jesus, when he died, the kingdom didn't collapse. In fact, through his death, the kingdom became greater. He sent his spirit on his disciples. And now instead of one Jesus, there's many Jesuses. Not, you know what I'm saying. I'm not equaling the disciples to Jesus, but they carried on his ministry. Flawed, broken human beings, but anointed with the gospel, anointed with the, the kingdom. So I just say to you, are you investing in anybody other than yourself? Are you giving away the things God gives you to others in some form or way? You know, it's, 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 it, churches have to learn. Sometimes it's through moral failure, and it's a horrible lesson for a church to learn to don't put your eyes on leaders. But it also can be through death, or it could be through retirement. And I've had so many people, I hope you don't go anywhere anytime soon. Well, I'm not planning on it, but I hope you're not here just because of me. Because there's not enough of me to go around. There's enough of Charles, Pastor Charles, enough of Pastor Jason, enough of Kelly, enough of our team. We got a team. We lead with the team. And somebody, you know, I, I, one of my greatest delights that we said we did a, we're doing a pretty good job is when we left for five months and the church didn't fall apart. I can't tell you the number of friends I have that won't leave for a month, more than a month. And they just can't. They're, they're worried about, you know, and, and one of the, our philosophies of ministry, and those of you in the UIO today, you'll learn this again, is that everybody that has an area of ministry in this church is responsible to be raising up somebody to take their place, even if they're better than them, especially if they're better. Because if they're better than you, that makes you a better leader because you raised them up. When our whole church was gone, except for Rick and a few part-time staff. Thank God we left Rick behind and Chelsea, not paid, just a, a layman, lay leader, volunteer. And we're all in Sedona, and there's nobody here to run the church. No professionals, quote-unquote, no pastors. And the church, it happened. Even the great sermon I preached that crashed on the video, that ended up being a happy accident for Rick to stand up. And I almost did that again today. I said, buddy, I was tired. I told your dad and mom this. I said, I was kind of tired after the first service. I think I'll just give Rick another shot at it. No warning, no prep. That's why he does his best game. We'll see what he does when he has a few weeks to prepare. We'll see. It won't be long, buddy. It won't be long. Listen to me. The joy of being a father, a mother, the joy of, of being a grandparent or a foster or a step parent or, or is to invest in someone else that's going to go beyond you. 
And that's our hope and our dream. And Moses, when he died, they, they could go, what do we do now? You trust God the same way you did. Well, what, Joshua's not a Moses. No, he's not. He's better in some ways, lesser in other ways. God doesn't have two Moseses. He just had one. But then he had a Joshua. And after Joshua, he had, a, and you know, God's that God. For every Elijah, he has an Elisha. He has people that are discipled, that, that take up the torch and carry. That's how the kingdom, you, that's why you can't stop the kingdom of God. It's not like a famous rock band. If the leader dies, you can get a cover band to play their songs, but it's terrible. Because the guy's not there, the girl's not there that used to lead the band. They're limited to the lifespan of that person in the band or the sports team. You know, Tampa Bay's going to fall apart. If they have a winning season next year, good luck. I'm not happy about it, but they put all their eggs in the Brady basket, and I'm glad that's fine, but, you know, he's gone. And then we moan about it. Well, if we just had, you know, if we could just have, you don't. And so life's that way. I'd like to have my mentors back that have died on me. I don't like it that they died on me. I mean, I'm serious. I get mad at them sometimes. I need them. And then the Lord brings me back to him, and I need him. And then he makes room for other mentors and encouragers in my life, and i got to seek them out. I'll just say to you, God is not limited to the people that you're depending on. That doesn't mean you don't have people you look to, trust in, depend on, but your ultimate dependence has to be in Jesus. Some of you learned that the hard way in marriage by depending on somebody that was unfaithful, and they left you. And you know what it is to have that tree in a bad way down. But God's not left you. And you've got to stand in who God is, not who that person used to be. Or our friends that have buried husbands of 50 years plus or wives. You can't replace that. But you've got to find Jesus in it. And know that God, when a man or woman of God dies, nothing of God died. God's kingdom moves on. So we're not a kingdom built on the lifespan of a human being. We're not a kingdom built on the personality of one particular leader. We're not a kingdom that's built upon a superstar like Moses. Joshua was no superstar, but he was a great captain of the Lord's army. He went in and did business. He knew how to swing a sword, and he led those people. And we're going to go into that starting next week. And I, I just can see Joshua fighting the comparison game. Comparisons are never good. You can be challenged by another person to be better, but don't condemn yourself because you're not wired to be like another person is that you emulate and look up to. So Moses dies in the arms of God. I'm going to say that's a good way to finish. It wasn't that God was mad at him because of his failure. God had forgiven him, but there was a consequence. But even the consequence turned out to be an amazing thing. Joshua gets to do it. And he'll do a better job. And Moses gets to stand with Jesus and say to Zaev, yes, I did make it to the promised land. <laughs> Let's stand up together. I pray for him, by the way, and I'm, I'm going to pray right now in a moment for him to come to know Jesus. But as much as I would pray for him, I'd pray for you. If you're here today and, and you're going to be called upon to make that long journey and, and, and last journey, the last journey and good, it could be 50 years from now. Doesn't matter. You prepare for it now. 
Not just that you pray a prayer now, live like you want to, and then you're ready. No, you pray a prayer now, and you begin walking with Jesus now. You exercise your faith. You get to know the Lord. You grow in your faith. You grow in Jesus. Let's pray together. If you just take a moment, and, and, and many of you, I, I know, have strong faith in the Lord, but some of you, you may not have come to that commitment to Jesus, to say yes to the Lord, that surrender, and that if God were to say your time is up, you're not ready. You're not living for him. You don't know him personally. It's not about how well your wife or girlfriend or parents knew him. It's do you know him? Moses wanted to continue on, and I think that's heroic. I would hope I would want to continue on. Give me one more shot, Lord, one more day, one more opportunity. But when it's time, it's time, and we take that last journey with him, to him. So if you're not confident in your place with God, your peace with God, then you say, what do I do, Jamie? It's not... You can't undo your past. You bring it to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. That's what we took in communion. You ask the Lord to forgive you because he died for those things. And then you invite Christ to come be Lord of your life. It's a surrender of trust. Jesus, come be Lord of my life. I want to know you personally, Lord. Just ask him. Whisper that prayer between you and him online. He'll hear you wherever you are in your home. or He'll hear you. And he'll answer you. He's faithful. Father, bless those that have made that, that stand this morning. Lord, just give them the courage to, uh, to make it public, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you, if you prayed that prayer online, we'd love to hear from you. If you prayed it in here, then I want to give you an opportunity to, to be bold and public. As the Bible says that we should confess our faith to others, not keep it in our hearts privately. It's a public acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord. I had one in the first service. He'd been battling with doing it. He looked at me the other week and said, I don't want to be a goat. I want to be a sheep. So we got to give your heart to Jesus. And he did. And then he stood today. And buddy, it was a huge difference from just a private conversation with God to a public confession of faith. He's getting baptized next week. So I know we'll at least have two. He and his wife, she came to Christ the week before whole household. Bring them in, Jesus. Whole household. So who's here this morning that wants to say yes to Jesus as Lord? Just lift your hand up. Let me recognize you. And then you can make your confession of faith. I say yes to Jesus as my Lord. Okay, in the back, go ahead. to Jesus as Lord. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. You've been serving on Thursday night, haven't you? I can't see. But what's your first name? No, that's not what I'm thinking. I'm sorry. Confused. Angela. She has been serving on Thursday night. Yeah, okay. Someone else. I say yes to Jesus as my Lord. I appreciate that some of you weigh it a lot. But don't overweigh it in the sense of always having another reason not to do it. The devil will give you another reason. If today's the day God's tugged on your heart, I say yes to Jesus as my Lord. And we'll ring the bell and celebrate. Anyone else? 
I say yes to Jesus. Online, let us know. We'll celebrate with you. I feel like there's a couple more, just not trying to belabor it. But, and Lord, we pray for Zaev as we're waiting. Capture his heart, Lord. Your hand's not short that you couldn't reach an Israeli uh, that deals with more Christians than most pastors do, and that's not always a good thing. So please, God, let him, uh, let him discover the wonder of his Messiah. Open his heart to you, Jesus. Thank you. Okay, anyone else? You want to say yes this morning? Okay. As we worship him together, just experience that presence of God. Don't, don't forget, I didn't set the song up. I, I did. want you to know it'll mean more. One of my dear friends, I went to Cuba with him. He was executive pastor of the Miami Vineyard in his mid-50s, riding his motorcycle, retired Miami cop, became pastor, assistant pastor of the vineyard, just had a heart attack, poof, died. And his, uh, he had a, left a couple sons and a little girl. She comes every, you women that go to the women's retreat, this is Rebecca. And she, she wrote this song uh, after her daddy died a few years later uh, with our team. And I don't know, she's about to get married. She may have gotten married and she lives in Miami. But I, my prayer would be, Lord, would I live a life that my daughters or sons, if you have my grandchildren or friends, could write a song about my faith that she saw in her daddy. The song says, I'll not be shaken, I'll not be moved, because she had a daddy that built his life on Jesus. What a perfect man, but he built his life on Jesus. She knew where he stood, and that rock became her rock when he left. She had to lean into Jesus. So let's sing this. Many of you have lost people you've leaned on, and let God be your rock this morning. Let's worship him together. <laughs>